Hello, and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today, myself and Paul Hoppy are going back into the historical depths. We're talking about a movie called Hidden Fortress. It's a Japanese movie from the 50s that is known to have greatly influenced George Lucas as he was coming up with the ideas for Star Wars. We're going to talk about that and a good deal of feedback. Yes, I promise we're finally getting around to it. All that and more after a commercial break that I really hope is not from Strut Companies. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm joined as somewhat frequently by very much not a co-host, occasional guest, Paul Hoppy. Paul, how are we doing today? We are doing medium today. Okay. okay. Uh, you know, the weather's terrible, but at least I got to watch an excellent, uh, you know, old time movie last night and get to talk about it with my dear friend today. So, you know, yeah, things could I like, be worse. It's- <clears throat> it, it's kind of funny to me that you suggested this one, especially because one of the things that I've gotten into recently are the Godzilla movies, which are really quite good, uh, depending on what you're looking at. Like, the first one is actually just a, a great movie overall. The later ones are just, you know, it's it's kaiju movies, but they're really fun. Uh, and so when you suggested another Japanese movie from the 50s, I was like, cool, this is this kind of becoming my brand at the moment. Nice. Before we jump into that, though, I want to do a little bit of feedback at the very start. And then we'll do most of it at the end. We got a great message actually through Patreon from Dylan Diggs. Dylan is a longtime uh, commenter and listener on both of my podcasts as well as a lot of the Stranded Panda podcasts. Dylan and I have some very big political gulfs between us. And uh, I know Dylan sent me an email that, uh, that I'm going to, Dylan, I promise. But but for everybody, I want to respond to what Dylan wrote on Patreon. This was after the message, the, the episode that Ricky and I did about the strike, about what the podcast was going to do during the strike, and how I was going to be contributing 25% of my Patreon to the strike going, uh, to the entertainer fund going forward. Uh, Dylan wrote, I just become a Patreon because of this cast today. My mother has been in SAG her whole life. I don't always agree with Matthew, even necessarily on if Rebels is crossing the line, but appreciate the thoughtful approach you're taking to this. Every time I listen, I know the content produced here is handled with care. I'll let Paul respond as well, but I just want to say, Dylan, thank you so much. It really means a lot to me. I I agree that the, for those who didn't hear the episode, we were talking about why we were not going to continue covering Rebels. And, you know, one thing that – and I'll talk more about my stance in general at the end of the episode and, and give Paul a chance to comment as well. I uh, want to make very clear, though, at the very beginning, there are specific rules being put out for actors and actor and potential, you know, members of the unions. Uh, I'm not that – but then separate from that are guidelines where it's kind of like, hey, here's things we're asking content creators to do. There's no consequences if we don't. And Rebels, I think, itself was kind of edge case, I think, because Rebels was made is animation and has been made very clear. Voice actors and animation are not part of the SAG union. To the extent that SAG specifically said if actors who want strike want to do voice acting for animation, they're very welcome to do so. I still decided that I, I didn't want to kind of use that. It's not a technicality. It's a, it's a valid point, but, but it still didn't feel right for me, especially because now we've heard that the uh, number of voice actors in animation are organizing a union themselves, which is kind of awesome, uh, specifically for WB. I'm curious to see where that will go. But yeah, so that would just, I wanted to, later in the episode, we're going to explain more of our, our stance, pause some thoughts on that. But I want to just kind of say first to, to Dylan, you know, thank you so much. Really appreciate the thought. And I'm glad that, you know, people of very different stances on a whole bunch of issues can at least agree on this. Yeah, and I'll just add to that that um, I mean, my parents were both in film unions. I have thoughts about the whole thing, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I won't get deep into that right now. But I do think that there is a sort of there's you know what 
they're asking for what they're telling you, which maybe I have some thoughts on that, but mm. then also like just the spirit of the thing, yeah. right? It's like, I think there's something to be said for just, you know, trying to, to make an effort, listen to, to what people are, are asking you to do to help in, you know, really fighting kind of more of the imperial forces. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't like how the rebels always do everything, but I'm like, well, the empire is definitely worse. Yeah. Um, and, and then here also just, oh, I mean, a lot of, voice actors in animation are in SAG. Right. Right. They're just not operating. They're not doing SAG, you know, union work because it's it's right. just the voice. It's not their physical image or I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It, it's considered a different kind of work. And right. maybe that's really the case. Maybe we'll we'll find out more about that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, let's now get into Hidden Fortress, uh, which is a Japanese-made movie. Uh, I think it kind of goes without saying, but, you know, one of the reasons why we're looking at a lot of Japanese-made stuff, I'm going to be doing some stuff on BBC content, uh, hopefully some stuff from South uh, South Asia, you know, Bollywood and Hollywood and other content like that, stuff from all around the world. And if you have suggestions, please let us know, is because it, it's hard – it's good to remember sometimes that that Hollywood doesn't actually control – all of movie making, and it never has. And there's always been a huge amount of cinema and TV shows being made outside the U.S. by completely non-union, uh, often unionized, not always, uh, depending on the country, but totally outside of that studio system that is being struck by uh, the SAG and the Writers Union. So that's how we're looking at it. And Paul, why don't you kind of take it away? Why why was Hidden Fortress something you suggested? Yeah. Uh, first, I just want to quote in reference to what you said, something I saw recently that if you know it, you know it. Um, you know, I didn't leave acting. I left Hollywood mm. um, is a quote from something that we both saw recently that I think it's, you know, Hollywood often thinks Hollywood is movies. Hollywood is acting. Hollywood is TV. Right. Yep. But it's it's not. It's a place where some of it's made. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hidden Fortress. I was thinking, you know, you were talking about. Not wanting to cover any of these things out of respect for, mm -hmm. for the strikes. And, um, you know, Star Wars. And then you were talking about things that were non, um, you know, not Hollywood unions, right? Yeah. That aren't directly related here. And so I was thinking, well, if you want to do something for Star Wars, why not do the film, you know, that was made uh, 19 years before, you mm -hmm. know, A New Hope? And, um, you know, George Lucas said was a large part of the inspiration for, I mean, after watching it, I think some of the plot mechanics, yep. you know, <laughs> uh, there, there are a lot of similarities, which I don't know how much we're going to, we're going to dig into those we can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just also like, um, I know my dad loved Akira Kurosawa. My mom mm. loves Akira Kurosawa. And like, I, I think I've only seen the seven samurai. Like, yeah. I, I've never really had a big like Japanese cinema, I'm gonna look watch a bunch of movies. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and part of that is sometimes these days I'm like, well, I'll just wait till I actually learn Japanese and then I'll watch <laughs> a bunch of and I'm like, okay, but I'm like trying to learn like three different Chineses already. Mm -hmm. So like that might be more of a 10 year plan. Um so I was like, let's enjoy this movie now and we'll circle back to more more others later. Yeah. You know? Um just, just for clarity, is this a Kurosawa movie or do you just mean that in this Yes, yeah. this is a th this is a movie um, directed by Akira Kurosawa. That's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, after, hmm? that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After he'd had some success in the West with some of his movies, but apparently, mm -hmm. from what I understand, hadn't had as much success in Japan. And so this is, I think, one of the movies that kind of 
helped him achieve more success in Japan. That, that's from my very surface level, you know, Googling and watching a few things about it. And um, it, it also has um, Toshiro uh, Mifune, who George Lucas actually wanted to cast as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh-huh. Um, and who I think for a long time was, was you know, the, the most – I mean, probably – to this day, the most recognizable um, face in like in from Japanese cinema, right? Mm-hmm. And it to, to the West, yeah, most recognizable face of the West, right? Um, and so, you know, not having been around in the fifties, I didn't, I don't know what it was like these movies being out and and how they were received, you know, in right. the United States and um, and elsewhere, but. Um, I, I do know that both my parents, you know, loved them and I, you know, I wanted to watch it. So yeah. I was like, yeah, why, why not cover that for Star Wars? Cause it's like, you know, it's the, the back, back story. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and for those who haven't seen it yet, you know, if you want to go see it, I do think it's very good. I'm going to talk a little bit about how accessible it is. We will give a plot summary in a few minutes. Um, but so that either if you have seen the movie and it helps you remember it, or if you haven't seen the movie but still want to hear us talk about it, you'll get it. But I want to say a few other non-spoiler comments first. And it's maybe by way of helping to encourage you to watch it. I've said often that I find it very hard to watch things with subtitles. Hmm. Um, in part because of my ADHD and then I just, you know, probably years and years of being in front of a screen. It It's hard for me to just do nothing but watch a screen. And if I can... Look away every now and then and still hear the dialogue. I'm fine. Like I'm folding laundry or something like that. But when I'm just watching, it's harder. One thing I've been finding with these movies, and yeah, I've enjoyed quite a lot of the Kurosawa movies as well. Uh, he did a series of Shakespeare movies that I saw when I studied Shakespeare in high school, uh, including nice. Throne of Blood and Rom, which are – I think Throne of Blood is a version of Macbeth and I think Rom is a version of King Lear. But I, I saw them 25 years ago, so I don't remember exactly. <laughs> but they're both very good. Uh, but same goes with some of the Godzilla movies is – and I, I think this is partially the style and partially just the time. Um, the, there's The dialogue is fairly slow uh, in that it is often said in kind of a lot – like I think a lot of the actors are coming from stage acting and a lot of the people who are getting into cinema are coming from the stage. And so that's – they're saying that kind of like you make a declarative statement and then someone else makes a declarative statement a second or two later. And there's also just – Lots and lots of panning shots of establishing the scenery, of showing you the army, of the fight scenes that are happening where people are grunting and, you know, maybe throwing out an insult every now and then. Compared to like some of the anime I've tried to watch, for example, I just think the number of words per minute is far less. And so for me, I think that really helps me watch as well because I I, I enjoy those visuals and I probably lose a little bit by not you know, having my eyes on the screen the whole time. Um, and I do probably watch it, you know, far more than I, I do some other things. But it, it, because it is slower, because it's, it, it, because the, the dialogue isn't rapid paced and because there's all these kind of sweeping establishing shots, I find as someone who struggles with subtitles that it's a lot easier to watch. So that just might be kind of further, uh, um, and I think that is certainly helped by it being like, I'm sure movies that are being made about, you know, I don't, know what the equivalent of like a rom-com was or a, you know, a movie that's much more talky. It's not about like ancient, you know, uh, history or, you know, sweeping fighting or, you know, things like that. They may be different from uh, Japanese movies at the time, but certainly ones I've seen like this that are kind of like samurai epics or things like that. I just found it much easier to watch. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I <laughs> I actually found the subtitles harder to read because mm. they're like written in white on black and white. It's a black and white film. Yeah. Um, and 
But having said that, there's not a ton of dialogue, right? There's not a ton of exposition. Um, There, a lot of the story is told through moving pictures, Mm -hmm. right? There are, there are long periods. There's probably multiple times when there's just minutes at a time without dialogue. Yep. Where there's, um, you know, and sometimes it's like, there's a scene where it's like, okay, this is like two minutes long or five minutes long. And these days it would be like 20 seconds long or yep. 10 seconds long. You know, it's like, like specifically they're climbing up this, this like mountainous hill yeah. kind of thing. Right. And there's all these rocks and they're stumbling and whatever. And, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's supposed to be, you know, s- kind of physical comedy, right? Yeah. And maybe it doesn't hit quite the same way um now that it did then or maybe in the US compared to Japan, I don't I don't know, but um there are a lot of things where it's like, yeah, this this probably goes on a little longer than than uh it would be indulged today. Like if you actually look at the number of scenes mm-hmm. per movie or scenes per minute kind of or, you know, how many minutes long an average scene is, it's way lower now. Yeah. Right? It's like do what you're there to do, get in, get out, boom, next scene. And um, just in general, I mean, I, you know, I, I grew up watching a lot of movies from the thirties and forties and fifties, mm-hmm. um, cause you know, my parents were both so into film and worked in film. And so, um, I think that pacing doesn't really bother me, Yeah. but I do think I could feel in the beginning, I was like, you know, this is taking a while to get going. So it might, it yeah. might take, you know, 20, 30 minutes to really feel, um, for a modern viewer, maybe to kind of get into it. But at the same time, there is stuff going on. Um, and the, the dialogue isn't, um, isn't the dominant force, right? Yeah. And, and a, a lot of the, in the dialogue, like the, the tone of voice, the, the way something's conveyed is, it, it tells you most of like the meaning anyway. Yeah. I think it's you very know? true. I think it's very, which is a credit to the actors again. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And I will say, I think, um, again, I by no means an exhaustive study of Japanese cinema from the time I've watched a couple of Kurosawa movies and a couple of Godzilla movies and like one or two others. But I will say, especially in those Godzilla movies that I've been watching recently, it's very much the same. Like there are scenes mm-hmm. where whatever monster, often Godzilla, but some of their kaiju is starting to, we're seeing that it's terrible and horrible and destroying buildings. And then it destroys more buildings. Right, and then it yeah. more buildings. And right, like, right, 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 right. Part of me is like, look, there's a guy in a rubber suit who gets to stamp all over these toy houses. He's having fun. Let him have fun. It's great. Yeah. But it definitely yeah. is like, yeah, in a modern movie, this would be very different. Um, right. One of the things I'll also say, though, is that particularly for this movie, I and here we're going to kind of get in the spoiler section, but I'll just say this one last thing. And then mm-hmm. uh, definitely if you want to see it, I would say stop. Um, but I think for people who are Star Wars fans specifically and are watching it knowing that this is George Lucas's inspiration or one of them, you'll know that from the first shot. And that certainly yes. helped me a lot because it, it, it starts with two people arguing as they're kind of in the midst of warfare trying to figure out what to do. Uh, yeah. And now we'll get more into kind of spoiler section. And, and, and then what happens is they decide to – they have a fight. They go in two different directions and both of them get captured by the same group of people and then reunited and they're super happy to see each other. And I was like, oh, yeah. OK. OK. I get it. Um, and we'll talk yeah. more about that. But um, Paul, why don't you first give kind of a quick summary of the of the plot? All right. Here is my – the quickest summary uh, I can allow myself. Um, 
R2 and 3PO, I'm sorry, <clears throat> Tahe and Matashi are two peasants who sell their homes to travel to the front and join the war between the Yamana and Akizuki clans, only to arrive late and be mistaken for defeated Akizuki warriors, then pressed into bondage and servitude for Yamana. Um, they're forced to dig for gold in an old a- Akizuki fortress, and when their fellow prisoners pull a one-way out, they wind up escaping and stumbling upon the gold elsewhere hidden in sticks. Uh, a samurai named Makebe um, Rokurota stumbles upon them as they stumble upon his hidden fortress, and he decides not to kill them when they explain their plan to escape Akizuki territory by going straight into Yamana first to get to Hayakawa. So he likes their plan. He's like, okay, I won't kill them. Um, Rokurota's main goal and his driving force of the movie is protecting Princess Yuki, who's the like sole heir to... Um, the Akizuki clan, mm-hmm. um, to the point where he sends his own sister as a decoy to be murdered in her place. Lots of stuff happens. Tahe and Matashi repeatedly try to bet- betray the Akizuki characters. Uh, Rokurota has a duel with an old foe, wins, doesn't kill him. And then after being captured, uh, Yuki wins this guy over by singing and demonstrating that she's a compassionate leader and wouldn't have had his face Zukoed by... Um, like his his mm-hmm. lord did. Uh, he has a big scar on his face. Um, Tadakoro betrays... Oh, this is this is this general. He betrays Yamana and uh, everyone escapes and lives happily ever after, except for Rokuruta's sister who is still dead without a head. Yes. Yes. Uh, good summary, I think. Yeah. Um, under 100 seconds. I couldn't do a minute, but I did under 100 seconds. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about... Let's... Let's first talk about kind of the way in which we can see how this inspired uh, Star Wars and then talk about some parts of the movie itself. Mm-hmm. I, to me, I think one thing that really – because I think there are times where I think you look at a Western movie and then watch the movie that was also made like, oh, this is a Western remake of that movie. Like, so, right, like The Departed, yeah, which the, is like shot for shot from Infernal Affairs, basically. Shot for shot from Infernal Affairs, um, The Magnificent Seven which is yes. a remake of The Seven Samurai. Oh, and that one, like, yes. Kurosawa and John Ford, my understanding is, like, they were friends. Like, this was not, like, okay. they, they kind of communicated about it. Sure, yeah. Uh, and John Ford is definitely a big admirer of Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. This is not a remake. There's massive plot yeah, differences. For sure. Um, but you have three characters who I think are very clearly inspirational. And as you said, like, the, ver- the very – the Jawa scene is straight out of this movie with these two guys. Yes. Um, I think art – and I think it particularly also – uh, helps inform it that when you remember that Lucas's first idea was to make a movie where the droids were were the only were the two main characters, and right. other stuff was happening around them, and so you sort of get like, if he had made that movie, I still don't think it would be a remake, but it probably would have been closer to this. Um, yeah, you know, because there isn't like a Han and a Luke. That there's one character who's kind of Obi Wan plus Han and a little bit of Jabba and a little bit of. Uh, <laughs> All, I, all the Iranian palace guard. Um, yeah, I, I was going to say it was like um, Anna Luke uh, Salobi, basically. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> you know, it's like all of those. This one character got split up into a bunch of. And in early versions of, of Star Wars, I, I think Luke and Han were the same character. Yeah, I think it's very um, true. And then they kind of got, you know. Um, and yeah, and then so the adventures they have, I think, becomes very different, but you can see that there's a lot of similarities. And certainly the princess, I think, is very much an inspiration for Princess Leia. We yeah. talked about how uh, even in the 70s, 
to have Princess Leia not be a damsel in distress, but to be, I mean, she technically is, but then she, you know, she starts yelling at her captors and telling them they're too short and that their plans are stupid yeah. and she takes over and, and she's active and she fights. And I think yes. having, um, they make a point in this one of saying that the princess, her father didn't have a son. And so she, they raised her as a boy. Um, mm -hmm. and so she wears pants and she has a stick that she uses, um, and she has some fighting ability and, you know, and I think that there, there's kind of some older people who are sad about that, but I think we're pretty most supposed to think that that's kind of dumb because she's just awesome. And so, yeah, it was kind of fun. See, I, I think those three especially are very much like inspirations for the three people who, be, who get into the movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just very direct, very yep. clear. Yeah. Um, she, she wears, <laughs> she wears shorts. Everyone wears shorts. Yes. Like they're they're not wearing pants most of the time. It's like like pretty short shorts too, which, you know, I I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean definitely like pants as opposed to a skirt or a dress or a kimono. Yeah, for uh, sure. But yeah, I mean there's a couple of and I don't think this is done for titillation factor. It's just no. historically accurate. There are a couple of people who are basically uh men who are wearing like the loincloth garment that like protects you in the front and then just right. goes up through the back. And yeah, we, the back's just kind of the back. We call it the thong. Yeah. It's like, oh yep, he's, right. that 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 guard is cheeked out and there we go. Right, so, right. <laughs> something we have not yet seen in Star Wars and I think probably won't and probably for the best. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> what other kind of connections do you see between this and uh, Star Wars? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think those are the, the really obvious ones. Um, I mean, also, you know, Princess Leia is like the last of her planet. Mm -hmm. I mean, not necessarily literally, but like her whole planet gets destroyed. Here, the princess is her whole, her clan got destroyed, yeah. right? So that's that's uh, a very direct kind of thing. Um, there's also a, you know, a, a lengthy duel between two old, um, that, like, antagonists? I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe them. Like, basically, there's, there's the duel between, um, Rokurota and um, uh, Tadakoro, and it's like it's this really long spear duel, which yeah. which I th we can get into, and and I don't I don't understand spear combat at all, so like <laughs> I was a little confused. I don't know how much it's supposed to be realistic or um, or what, but it's it's like really long, mm -hmm. and it the 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 duel between Obi Wan and and Vader, you know, reminds me of that, yeah, and. And then also the, you know, this is kind of the, the antagonist that we spend the most time with. Mostly Yamana is this like faceless, you know, antagonist clan. We don't know if they're evil and like, you know, Akizuki is like good, right? right. It's just like they're, they're antagonists. I think historically they were in like on different islands. Mm -hmm. So th this isn't like really meant to be too much of a historical take. It feels like it takes place in the 1800s, uh -huh. right? When, there's still swords, um, there's still spears, but there's also guns, you know, yeah. like one shot guns, basically, right? Um, and, but yeah, at, yeah. I'll just say, yeah, it could even be 1700s. Uh, rifles made it to uh, sure. Japan in the 1600s with, the, with Portuguese, yeah. and I think these kind of rifles, 17, 1800s. But one thing I think that. Yeah, so it could be earlier. Yeah. Right? One thing I think, Probably though, that is. it's definitely showing is, and I think this is something that you see in Star Wars, is, you know, the tension between. The martial artist and the nameless guy with a gun and the idea right. of like, are you like a 
skilled warrior who belongs to this warrior tradition and culture in which, I mean, the Jedi are very similar to samurai in a lot of ways. For sure. Um, They're very similar to a white person. They're they're intended to be. They're very clearly inspired by the idea of samurai that one might have growing up in California. Yes, I think that's a perfect way to say it. Um, And and, and versus, like, you know, the the nameless, faceless soldiers with guns. And... Mm -hmm. um, that that whole thing is a, a theme that in Japanese history that plays out a lot with the you know the industrialization of the 19th century and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, the Rory Kenshin movies, which we've talked about yeah. before, definitely cover that and as well. Series, of course. Yeah, um, but I think all that was you were talking about the duel itself. So continue with that. Right. Um, no, I mean basically the duel. It, it feels to me like it served as partial inspiration for uh-huh. you know Vader and Kenobi, these two people who knew each other for a long time and. Um, here they're dueling for the first time. He's like, I never got to face you. You know, yeah. I always regretted that. And it's like, okay. And he's like, a duel? And it's like, you know, it, it in the in context, you know, um, Rokurota is like surrounded yeah. by dozens or hundreds of enemy soldiers. And he's just like, oh, you want to duel? And then they duel and then he leaves. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's, you know, and it's respected that that's the result of the duel. He says, I lost, you know? And he's like, why didn't you kill me? He's like, you're supposed to kill me. But then later that guy, you know, who mm-hmm. Luke doesn't kill, I mean, who, um, Vader, uh, who, uh, <laughs> who Mifune doesn't kill, uh, he ends up turning on the Empire yeah. and freeing them, right? So that, like the end of Return of the Jedi actually feels like maybe it's not super directly inspired, but it's like it's the same idea of yeah. like, you know, the the sort of head um general, the right hand, whatever, of the the main the imperial power or right. here, you know, the the rival clan, um, turns on on their own team. Yeah. Uh, because after they get spared, and it's like it's not he's paying him back for sparing him. It's because, you know, um, Princess Yuki um, demonstrates the power of song. Like she's basically mm-hmm. like, you know, you didn't fail me um, because the, the, the you know, uh, Rokurota is like, I failed you. You know, this is all for naught. And she's like, no, it wasn't. I got to see people as they really are. You know, yeah, I got this to is see when they're in the prison wonderful. and they all think they're going to die. Just yeah, yeah. When, exactly. After they've been captured at the end and it's like, well, they've they've basically failed in their mission. And she's like, no, but I, I got to actually see the world. You know, yeah. I was in a way that I wouldn't have ever gotten to see it if I was just living in a castle with people coming and paying tribute and treating me like a princess. Right. You know, and then that compassion for, you know, her basically failed servant. Right. Who didn't succeed in doing um, what what he was trying to do for her um i think turned you know tarokoro who's just like oh yeah maybe maybe things don't have to be awful yeah you know (laughs) maybe 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 it doesn't have to be like if you fail then you get your face slashed across and you get beaten Mm -hmm. so hard that you know you're like so and i think that's a very important point and again i'm not japanese but i and i haven't i'm not like an expert in the history but the one thing I've studied a lot is is World War II and the time period after that and sort of cultural shifts and how cinema often uh, displayed them. And, and one thing I know is that that's often talked about is that, you know, a big part of kind of the, the lead up to World War II was kind of a government of the military that had a lot of the military mm-hmm. spirit uh, of the time in which, you know, 
yeah, honorable death in combat was, you know, what you looked for and that to 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 not die was was shameful and that to be taken prisoner or, or not commit suicide or, or die fighting was often considered very shameful. And, you know, and so do I know this for sure? No, but I, I have a strong suspicion that that was a very intentional thing of he thought he was supposed to die in combat. And then not only does he not and get punished for it, but then again, when he switches sides, there's a moment where he's like, you know, you go, I will, you know, yeah. fight to, to protect you. And they're like, yeah. dude, we've got a free horse. Come along. And he's <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. yeah, why don't I just go yeah. with you? And to right, me, that was a exactly. very pointed like, yeah, you know, that whole idea of like, you know, you have to honorably die instead of just getting away. Like, yeah, maybe not the best. So I, I really yeah. appreciated that. For sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's funny because it was getting towards the end and like there was one thing that I really didn't like that Uh we can, you know, talk about. And then like there at the end, I was like, oh, it's, it's going to have one of these endings where like they just all get killed because like, yeah, that's just, that's the way some movies end, you know? And then it was like, oh, it, it had this, this kind of happy ending of like, that's like uplifting and, you know. And I think that's very much intentional because after she sings that song, there's like a line or two of dialogue. And then it all goes black and it stays yeah. black for a good second. And I was utterly yeah, convinced yeah. that was the end of the movie. And I was like, that's pretty metal. Okay, I can take that. And then it comes back <laughs> right, up to right. the escape and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah. And if you want the unhappy ending, you can just stop the movie there and be like, yeah, it's very sad. Yeah. It's tragic. They all died. That's how things go. So this is – You can pretend it's Game of Thrones, whatever. This is more on the movie making side of things. I, I do know a little bit about spear fighting. Um uh, mm-hmm. You know, because something that, like I think spears are often thought of as just thrown weapons. They're not. And that the fighting yeah. style that we see, where it's kind of a sword fight with very long swords, and just the blade is at the end. Watching it, though, there were two things that I noticed as I was watching it. One is that, and this is something we talked about some after the um, scene in Rebels. I'm about to spoil something from uh, season three of Rebels, uh, no, or no, season four of Rebels. Um, I'm going to spoil something from Rebels. If you haven't seen all of it, maybe skip ahead for 30 seconds, uh, where Obi-Wan kills Darth Maul. And it's not an epic duel. It's like three 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 slashes yeah. of lightsabers, and he's dead. And part of that's because that actually is how a lot of samurai sword fights went. And in this movie, when people use swords, often the other person's killed, like, almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Spears... I feel like if you wanted to shoot a, – A, it may be historically accurate that longer duels with spears made more sense. But also, I think that given the technology of the day and what they were doing, filming the kind of samurai sword fight that we're used to, just because they're very close to each other, the swords are moving very quickly and slashing against each other. And often you think about it in fights like that, there's con- constant camera angle shifts. I think it would be very difficult to do that. Especially in the kind of style that they're doing. And so having the fight be the two of them basically always being six feet apart so they can be separately mic'd, among other things, um, and kind of poking at I wouldn't them. be confident that they were sec- separately mic'd for what it's worth yeah, in yeah. 1958. Yeah. In a way, I think it would probably be harder if they're like as close to each other as they are in a sword fight. But also it allows for that – like it, it's probably like fi- a five-minute scene – with maybe 20 or 30 seconds of actual, like, spears hitting each other. It's right, a lot right. of, like, parry, thrust, back away, circle for a little bit, attack, parry, thrust, 
etc. Back away again. Um, and there's oh, a lot of shouting, right? Yeah. Like, like um, kiaing. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, which is like it's as a martial artist, I'm like, oh yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I've I certainly had plenty of fight. I had one fight. It's like it was like four minutes. I think it was two two minute rounds. It might have been two 90 second rounds. And like, I don't think anyone really threw anything in the first minute. It was just like you know, you're just trying to get a read, trying to see how someone responds. If you throw this faint, that faint, yep. you know, you shout at them and see if it like freezes them. You know, yeah. it's like it's a thing. And it, it was just interesting to see that in the context of like a, a spear fight, which I'm like, I don't really know how these weapons work. Yeah, but like it, it was. It still it felt like it had a lot of drama. Very much. Right? Yeah, it was not boring yeah. in the slightest. It made me think about how if this was being done in a modern movie, often you'd intercut all those scenes of them kind of circling with shots of people in the crowd watching or like someone offering right. a bet to someone else yeah. or like that kind of a thing. Yeah. Or you would cut to the other scene with the peasants and then you would come back to this or exactly, something. Exactly, exactly. To make it feel faster. Uh, so does, you know more about martial arts. I know – yeah. You fight unarmed, obviously, but does that – and you also know more about filmmaking than I do. Does that make sense, that idea of that the spear fight might just kind of work a lot better? It might be more historically accurate, but also um, just kind of work better for what they're doing and the technology they have at the time? A little bit. So in, in terms of the mics, like I I think they probably just had like one mic, Yeah, you know, most of the time is my guess. I, I'm not certain. but um, But yeah, in terms of them kind of – you you get you know you're gonna have broader shots basically mm-hmm. right there's um i i do know that uh kurosawa was like known for also for sword fights and and i actually this morning trying to <laughs> trying to find a, a source of like a a japanese speaker saying some of the names you know uh-huh. i was i was looking at something um and and I mean, I'm I'm sure I'm still not going to do a great job, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm going to do my best. Um, but like, I, I was watching a scene where he's talking about um, uh, it's uh, Tatsuya Nakata in um, about shooting Sanjuro, and ha- he has this scene where he's uh, like facing directly um, Toshiro Mifune, and like it's I watched the scene. They show the scene. It's like seconds long, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like. Oh, I feel like Dave Filoni watched this just before writing that exact scene that you mentioned. Yeah, that's about true. Maul and Obi Wan. Uh-huh. You know, and like maybe not. You know, maybe not. There's there's a lot of sword fights throughout yep. history. But I was just like, um, and he was talking about how they did the fight. You know, mm. and and how they went about it, and um, that it was like uh, that the process was. You know, it was it was like surprising, and like nobody knew exactly how it was going to go. And I think the script actually said the action that will take place cannot be described in words on the page <laughs> or something awesome. like that. That's awesome. You know, so like I, I I do imagine that a spear fight provides a different sort of the opportunity for a different kind of spectacle, mm-hmm. a different kind of tension, um, and. But also, like, you know, if sword fighting is generally going to be um, more like, you know, it's over. Yeah. Then, well, if it's a duel and it's like, you know, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. It's like, yeah, let's do, let's do spears. Yeah. You know, like, do you want to play a game of bullet chess or you want, you want to play a classical <laughs> yeah. game? Let's play. Let's play daily. You know, you get a yeah. day for a move. Right. It's like so. So I, I do think there was an idea. I think it's more about the pacing of the fight. Yep. Um, but also the framing of it, you know, and they they have these big wide shots because they have these spears, they're long spears. And there's 
they show the crowd. Yeah. They don't do close-ups on the crowd. They're not cutting. It's not fast cut, right? But it is like they show the – and the crowd like backs up and then comes in like, yeah. ooh. Ah, you know, it's like there are reactions from the crowd without being like, okay, let's let's pull in tight to get a reaction shot. It's like, no, it's – you know. In, in one of the brilliant like, oh, look, they just had a state – they just had an actor do a stagehand move. Um, like so he rides in on this horse. Gets yeah. off the horse and then he's like yeah. going to different soldiers to test their spears to find the right yes. spear he wants to fight with. And yeah. one of them, he takes the guy's spear, like, no, it's no good, throws it yeah. down. And in shame, the guy walks off to take his horse and then take the horse out of the shot. <laughs> I was like, that's that's brilliant. Like, it makes total sense yeah, he yeah. would do that. But also it's like, yeah, how are you going to have this fight with this horse in there? Yeah, 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 yeah. You got you to gotta take the, the horse out of the shot if you're <laughs> going to be doing this long combat scene, like, with a lot of shouting. One other thing I thought was really noteworthy in that scene is at one point they're kind of battling in this uh, kind of little bit like a, uh, like a collection of walls that are made of the flags of the Yanada. Is that how you say it? Um, Yamana? Yeah. Uh, or it might be Yamana, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yama- Yamana, thank you. Yeah. Uh, of that clan, their flags are kind of like hung in from these wooden things that are kind of like yeah. making little like separations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And during the fight, um, the, the general from that clan, uh, not our hero, is like slashing at, at our hero through, tr- through the flags and is often cutting them. And like right. ripping them open. And yeah. I thought that was an interesting bit of foreshadowing of that maybe he is more oh. like he's more connected to, uh, you know, his fellow samurai and the samurai yeah. code than the, the clan necessarily that he was fighting for. And again, I, I know little bits of the history. I know that often like the person might be of the clan themselves, but often they were, you know, a clan would hire a samurai right. and, and their troops to kind of work for them and fight, fight wars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, Whatever his connection is to the clan, I thought that was just a, a cool bit of foreshadowing of him, like, in his attempt to fight the other samurai, destroying the flags of his lord, who winds up right. being so bad to him. Right. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I didn't pick up on that at all, but that's a that's a great spot. Yeah. I and mean, that's really cool. Uh, one other thing. So, there's something about the movie you didn't like or other high points you wanted to mention? Yeah. Well, so the one thing I really didn't like was, you know, you were just calling him our hero. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like – I <laughs> I think, like, Mifune is, like, a fantastic actor. He's so good. There's just the moment he walks in and he's just standing there. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, oh, th- that's the guy. Yeah. You know, this guy is the guy. And, like, he's awesome. And, like, the character's very cool a lot of the time. He sends his 16-year-old sister to go get beheaded yeah. to, like, buy, like, a day's time or something in distraction. Like, it doesn't even work that well. Right. You know? Like they figure out pretty quickly. Oh wait, no, the princess. That wasn't the princess. Oh, using a double is nothing new. Yeah. It's like, geez, monarchy is just the freaking worst. This is where you know our our good friends at the you know hype is my superpower podcast. Mm-hmm. We're talking you know in our in our little chat thing like about about monarchy. Like if you're telling a story about monarchy, yeah, you know. And um, I I do think it's interesting because here it's like he's basically I am doing my job to serve the monarchy and it's like, you know, to the death, right? Yeah. For all of us. And and she the princess is like, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. You know, yeah. I'm 16, she's 16. Like, what's the, you know, what's the why should I live and she should die? You know, why should she die so I can live? Yeah. And like um and so I feel like it was at once it was like a little critical of that, like mm-hmm. in story, right? Yeah. But at the same time it's like 
Oh, these monarchies, you know, it's just these. Yeah. And like both he and some of her older advisors kind of the, the point they make is like, no, she was honored to do this. She happily did right. it. And like, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I would. I wish we could have heard her say that, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Uh, and and yeah, but I, I do think I, I think that what they do with the character of the princess is one of my favorite things in the movie. Um, there's another scene where uh, I will say, for me, one of the low points of the movie. It's not quite to Game of Thrones level, and it's never shown, but. The movie is very happy to tell you about the general attitude of women in times of war, the general attitude towards women in times towards of war yeah. of being, you know, things you could buy and sell and and use against their consent in whatever ways you wanted to. Um, and, and, and that's pretty horrific. Again, it's not shown on screen in any way, which I definitely do appreciate. Uh, but one thing that is nice is that, uh, and again, showing the princess like, because she has a little bit of that kind of the innocence of, I don't know how the real world works, but the power to say, but it's dumb. I don't want the real world to work like this. Yeah, yeah. And so at one point, um, which actually is a thing that happens in Game of Thrones. And now I wonder if Jordan- I was going to yeah. say. Because uh, at one say. point, she she is in an inn and she's listening to these men talk about wanting to purchase her and and how there's another girl who they have already purchased. And he's like, yeah. uh, her her owner, Pimp, is uh, enslaver, is offering her, you know. And so she she goes to the others and it's like, you have to buy her. You have to buy her. Yeah. And they yeah, wind up yeah. selling their horses and like switching to this cart yeah. system in order to do that. Um, yeah. So, yes, I, I like how empowered she is and I like how much she is, like, not okay with the way things are. And, and yeah, that thing about the prince, it, it, it's funny. That that wouldn't be why I thought uh, that he's not a heroic type. It's also because he's mm-hmm. kind of an ass to our, our – our, like, our peasant friends – Well, yeah. Our, our peasant- but they also repeatedly try to betray him. <laughs> like, they're also, not the best. Also you know true. What I mean? Yeah, like, like – <laughs> R2-D2 as lovable scamps is something that Lucas, uh, uh, you know, R2 and C-3PO uh, turned up the morality on those two characters quite a good deal. I don't know. I just feel like they're both 3PO. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, fair. That, that's- you know, like 3PO is like, oh, we've been abducted by these rebels and, you know, and then they have to fight and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And, you know. Yep. Now- um, spoilers for Rebels episode three or four. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I guess I- – I don't know if this was intentional or maybe this is just me reading my own politics back into it many years later. I don't – like for the most part, I'm not angry at the peasants because I think part of what you're seeing is like, wait, why does this gold belong to like the princess, you know, and and the nobility? Yeah. Especially because all the, when like the her noble advisors talk, they're very clear to be like they they totally look down on these peasants. They think the peasants are idiots. They're going to use them as right. scamps and like yeah yeah. They don't plan to pay them. And we earlier saw how they kept getting caught up in war, like because the other yeah. big generals are just like, oh, you look like you might be part of the clan. We're gonna now later they then talk about uh doing horrible things to the princess uh when she's sleeping yeah. and that's when i'm like yeah 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 okay well there went my ability to be you know kind of on their side to that extent right right well, um yeah and to me it's like if you want to steal the gold whatever steal the gold yeah i mean you get yours you yeah. know but like if it's like oh we're going to turn them in so they can get beheaded and we get like three gold pieces like you know no yeah that's for me that no yeah. you know but you know to each their own. Um, I wanted to comment on the the kind of the end scene where I I felt like I, I mean I share some of your discomfort, mm-hmm. you know, but also I kind of liked how they handled it. Where I, I feel like they're showing kind of like 
not even showing. It is more telling, yeah. right? Kind of like this is kind of how this works in these, you know, situations. And then the actual outcome was favorable, you know. Right. And um, I, I thought it was funny, hilarious, uh, appalling how like they're all like, oh, well, she's cute, like to the princess. And they're like, oh, no, she's mute. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> like like they're literally trying they're fine with like sexual slavery right but they're like oh but if she's like disabled or, mm-hmm. you know like I'm like really yeah like, that's your that's a deal breaker for you in this scenario <laughs> seriously um and that to me that that to me speaks of the you know maybe the ableism of the times mm-hmm. as well right that like someone wouldn't even be physically attractive because they couldn't speak whereas i think I, I think some, you know, some misogynists would uh, would see that as a feature, not a bug. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I I saw one one recap that was referring to the the girl that they purchased and mm-hmm. and freed and and tried to be like get lost, get lost. She's like, no, I'm sticking with you. Who incidentally was of the same clan. Mm, the yeah the, uh, yeah she'd been right? captured so, in the war. Right. So I think there's a little bit of like, you know, it's. She's like, no, that's one of my people, you know, right. and like I'm responsible for, um, which I almost like undermines it a little bit. But um, I saw her referred to like as a prostitute. And I'm like, I don't I don't think that's what that word means. Yeah, I, th- I think the term you're looking for is sex slave. Like, you know, um, so, yeah, it, it, not in a, you know, kinky way. Like, right. in a no, this is literally someone is being imprisoned and forced to, you know. Yeah, like sex work, you would hope that there's at least some degree of consent given. Often, unfortunately, there's not today. Of course. Much more often than people think there is. Uh, right. But yeah, I think I agree with you. I think calling her a, a, a prostitute really kind of denigrates – really kind of like puts a, a, a veneer on really the, the horribleness of what's happening to her. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. One little detail I, I um, thought about that – one little detail that that threw me, and it just got me onto a Google uh, uh, search for dumb reasons. Um, but so one of, one of the things that is kind of a plot point in the movie, kind of part of the MacGuffin of it all, is as you said, they've hidden these bars of gold that all have the insignia of the of of, of the princess's clan uh, on them in mm-hmm. sticks of wood. And the idea right. being that like they've, they've hollowed out these sticks that just can look like firewood that people are carrying around. And uh, but in them are the gold, and they they find them actually when one of them is like fighting with each other. The the, the R two and C three PO are fighting with each other, and they break the stick and they find it. And um, it's it's an ingenious idea. I really like it. I'm kind of curious if it ever happened historically. But then they get caught up in a fire festival, which is this like awesome. And it's a great scene. It's an awesome kind of like, and I, I I'm sure it has a lot of roots in Japanese history that things like this happened. That's where the um the princess hears the song that she then sings later. Um, and it, part of it is they're trying to just kind of blend in, but people see them with this cart full of what they think is firewood, and like, hey, throw that in the fire, throw that in the fire. And they can't argue too much or else they'll be suspicious. And so all of it gets thrown in the fire. Yeah. No, but just to clarify, they decide to throw it in the fire. Rokurota says, throw it in the fire. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it's the circumstances that compel that. But he's just like, no, just just stick it in. We're going to be fine. Right. I, I think he means it in a like, 
because we're going to be looking suspicious and be captured if we're not. Like, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm just saying it wasn't an external force that decide that like just pushed it in. Yeah. It's like they decided, and the the peasants are like, no, no, no. He's like, shut up, just do this. Yeah. This is the way we're going to get through this. Definitely. Um, and because what happens apparently is that once the fire burns out and everyone's gone, they're able to yeah. find all these gold bars in the ashes. Yeah. Now, at yeah. first, I thought since gold was fairly soft, it had a low melting point. I was like, that doesn't right. make any sense. And I looked it up and it turns out gold actually has one of the highest melting points of any metals. Its melting point is at about 1,800 degrees. I think it's like 1857 or something like that. This degree is Fahrenheit. That's pretty like, hot. Okay, that makes sense. But then I was like, wait. What what's but, the what's the temperature out of bonfire? Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. and then I kept looking and said, oh yeah, in in you know big bonfires, temperatures will often get up to like two thousand degrees. That's even hotter. And it's even hotter, <laughs> and so like the idea that at the end of it they have these still like perfectly pristine bars of gold. I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna roll my eyes too much. It's a little bit of an eye roll, but I don't know if you had people had done that measuring yet. That, that that's fine as a MacGuffin. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, a, just a real momentary. Just I'm using term. the word MacGuffin you, wrong. Yes, I realize that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like that's that's not as, that's not what that as word a plot means. point. But yeah, 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 yeah. And and just sort of a uh, it is a hand wavy like oh yeah this is fine and it's like I, I mean if it says up to two thousand something maybe it's not always that maybe it's possible maybe the reason they could only find some of the gold is because some of it melted and some of it didn't mm-hmm. you know but yeah I was also I was like. I was like, is that, that going to melt? <laughs> and if it, you know, because there, I, and I think there's metals, like if you set metal, like the fire will burn a different color. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I, I, I don't know. Um, but then maybe people just be like, oh, that's super cool. Um, you know. Yeah. But like, yeah. Who knows? That, anyway. That's our science deep dive. We can move on now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Maybe the fire did burn a different color, and since it was black and white, we just couldn't tell. Yeah. And and who knows? Maybe wood is a good – maybe it's that like, you know, by the time the fire actually gets direct directly to the gold, all the wood has burned to ash, and so the fire is dying down. Like – Sure. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how who hot knows? it gets inside a hollow piece of wood when the piece of wood yeah. is on fire. I mean, there yeah. are wood ovens, so – Anyway, doesn't matter. Not yeah, going to yeah, go yeah. down this. <laughs> I shared your kind of like, I wonder if this really would work. <laughs> but, you know. Okay. It's fine. It's but fine. also, I mean, given the amount of plot holes like that that I have with most modern movies, if that's the oh, only yeah. one I had, we're winning yeah. as a movie. So. Sure, yeah. Uh, any other comments on the movie you had? Um, Not not a lot. I mean, I, di- I didn't take notes. You know, I just had a few things here that I, mm-hmm. I jotted down while we were chatting. Um. I would say that also in terms of Star Wars connections, um, Stormtrooper aim quality seems uh-huh. to be, you know, commensurate with w- whenever any of these people are shooting at any of the main characters, except for the, you know, the, the freed girl who yep. then does get shot and then is like apparently fine anyway. She's like, leave me, leave me. And they're like, no, we're not leaving you. Yeah. Um, we paid five silver for you. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, um, just like overall, I'd say I enjoyed it. You know, it it took me a little to like really get into. Um, but I mean, that's not super uncommon. I mean, the Batman, I was like the first 10, 20 minutes. I was like, I don't know about this. And by the end, I was like, this is the most well-made superhero movie ever. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> so like, true. you know. Because um, there's a I long can, distance I, from the end in those 10 minutes at the start. <laughs> this is, there is a lot left. And this movie is over two hours, yeah. you know, which, um, 
you know, I don't I don't know specifically the 50s, but I know historically for a long time movies were considerably shorter than they have kind of become recently, mm-hmm. you know. Um so it um I, yeah, I, I, I just say, I just thought it was yeah, I'll say quickly ahead. on that. A lot of movies at the time were shorter. The original Godzilla is like 94 minutes. Right. Uh, Seven Samurai is three and a half hours. Right. Yeah. Kurosawa yeah, yeah. was a... known, like that was one of his things, right. was that he sure, took yeah. his time a lot more yeah. than other movies. Exactly. You know? Um, and it's interesting. I mean, to me, like, apparently, like, Kurosawa was not loved at first in Japan, like, as, as a filmmaker, like, films, yeah. partially because a lot of people thought it was, um, like, did too many kind of Western things, right. you know? Um, but then also tons of directors and writers in, in the West, in Hollywood, in, you know, other, other places, like, then were heavily influenced by Kurosawa. And, you know, to me, that's, that's a, I, I think it's great when people get influenced by, you know, disparate influences, right? right. And aren't like, oh, I just only want to watch the things that are, you know, right here and it's you know and i appreciate lucas saying like yeah this movie that i obviously copied a whole lot from like i i did this this is the movie you know naming it and and not kind of being like oh yeah i i I came up with all this stuff in a dream i had a dream one night and you know i I do think it's really important to name one's influences and i you know that doesn't mean that you're you're stealing whatever it is you know and i mean obviously there's there's a whole lot of stuff that, you know, we can talk about in that kind of vein. But, like, um, just I, I think, you know, kind of sometimes you can do something concrete within a film that's, like, paying tribute to something. And then sometimes it's just, like, outside of your actual film, you know, just kind of talking about influences. And that's something as a, as a musician that I think is so super common, yeah, you know. For sure. and And, I mean, it, it happens in film as well. I just – I guess I kind of wish that people – that more people took the time to kind of listen to what their favorite filmmakers talk about yeah. learning from, being inspired from, uh, being inspired by, and then go and, and actually watch some of that, you yeah. know? And, and I think it's yeah. a good point. And I'll, like, I'll be honest. I don't know if I would have gotten around to watching this without the strike. And I think that's a mistake. Sure. You know, and especially yeah, yeah. because like I hadn't known about this one, but the Kurosawa influences – are all over Star Wars, um, and that's yes. both you know in the in the original movies, obviously, uh, but up to you know the very recent. Um, in there's a num- there are both an episode of the Clone Wars and an episode of Mando that is very much a remake of the Seven Samurai. Oh yeah. <clears throat> which by the way, there's something like thirty different TV shows or movies have been inspired. It's an incredible tons, movie. Tons, yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it's very much kind of the like. Anytime you think of like a band of misfits and and people whose society has given up on come together to defend a town or defend a thing like that 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 same that that's a cliche trope. It's a trope that Seven Samurai really kind of started at least in cinema, um, mm-hmm. or at least put its stamp on. Uh, but also, as I said, the the Seven Samurai there. And then um, if you've heard people talk about how the Last Jedi has the Rashomon. Uh, scenes oh, where yeah. you have the same scene of Luke confronting Ben when Ben is waking up from three different perspectives. That's something that happened in Rashomon, which is another Kurosawa mm. movie. So yeah, these influences definitely run deep. And yeah, I'm just glad yeah. we're talking about them. And, and I just want to mention that one one year my mom gave me um, DVDs for The Seven Samurai and The Magnificent Seven. 
Oh, cool. As Yeah. So, yeah. so I got to like watch them like back to back and kind of see how, you know, one inspired. I mean, one is a direct adaptation really of the other one. Very right? much so. Um, but as you said, also like Seven Samurai has some Western influence, like not Western culture, right. but like the Western style of movie had some influences yes. on so yeah so it's kind of a fun yeah. uh thing around i uh, do you still if you still have those dvds it'd be fun to um do those two movies at some point for a superhero yeah yeah that'd so, be great i think yeah. it'd be great um all right well again it's a great movie definitely recommend people watch it um recommend that uh people check uh check it out and certainly if you have thoughts about it either having watched it or not let us know in feedback because we are i so much happened i very much apologize we have a backlog of feedback. I'm not going to do like all of it at once. Some of it's rebel specific. So I want to do that when he, at least Ricky, but hopefully Ricky and Sarah are both on the podcast. But I want to talk about some of this with um, Paul now. And first, just we got a couple of comments about the strike, a couple of kind of like quick comments, uh, but then one particular email that raises a good question that we'll talk about. Uh, some people just, you know, very, uh, very positive. One person said, thank you for taking a stand. Uh, I'm excited to get this chance to hear about non-screen Star Wars. Union strong. You guys rock. Uh, one person said they are unsubscribing because we've gone too woke. <laughs> Which what, I was like, what, what podcast were they listening? How, to yeah, before? how are we not like every time we get a you know because every now and then we do we do get message that I'm like, what? I'm deeply offended that you ever heard a, a, a full episode and didn't come away thinking we were somewhat woke like. What the hell? I, I mean, uh, which, uh, I, think yeah, woke I, woke. I have, yeah. Well, <laughs> go ahead. You go. That you didn't come away thinking that we are what you mean when you say the word woke. Which, the, yes, <laughs> perfect, perfect. Uh, but we did get oh, a full email also from Emma. Uh, Emma writes, I appreciate the stand you're taking and I really hope the actors and writers get what they need. But are you really not going to cover Ahsoka when it comes out? I understand why. But I've gotten so used to watching Star Wars along with you. I'd hate to not have your commentary when the episodes are coming out. Emma. Um, Paul, I'll let you kind of respond first. Yeah. Um, and, and just to be clear, it, so, was, it was a decision that I made unilaterally. Yeah. Uh, I did not – Paul was one of the many friends who I talked to about it. But it, it was my decision. So I'm not asking Paul you to defend my decision. Just, you know, what, what your thoughts are. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'll say I don't know whether I would have made the same decision. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm not – I don't run a podcast, right? right? Like, I enjoy being on your podcast and occasionally on another podcast. But, like, um, it's not – you know, it's not a big deal for me to not cover a given thing, right? right? I cover things when I'm like, oh, I love that. I want to talk about it, you yeah. know? And then, yeah, we might as well record it, right? <laughs> but, like, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Um, but I will say also – a while ago, I mean, but right at the beginning of the strike, I was thinking without anyone saying anything, just like, you know, do like, do I want to cover any of it? Do I want to be on any podcasts of, you know, things that are coming out new? You know, is there a difference between things that are new, things that were from before? You know, what kind of what do I want to do with regard to whatever? Also, though, after watching Mandalorian season three, I have like several thoughts on Ahsoka, including like, First of all, I would just always like to watch a series all at once or in my mm-hmm. own rhythm, right? Um, and I don't know. I don't know if I would even want to be doing day by day, right? right. And we, we talked about it a little bit before you came to this decision. I was like, yeah, I probably would be willing to just because I enjoy the experience of doing it with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but like, but then also like, uh, I... 
going forward, like, I'm like, ah, oh, this timeline, I don't like where this timeline goes. Yeah. Like, you know, I really want to see live action Ahsoka. I really want to see live action. Some of the other characters might show up there. I wish it was more in the Rebels time period, mm-hmm. you know. But then again, like, I don't want her in the Andor show. I think she needs her own show. And those yep. things shouldn't really, you know, cross particularly much. Um, but I'll also say, like, if... I mean, first of all, it's up to the producers, right? Yep. Or the studios or whatever. Like, they can end the strike tomorrow, yep. you know, by just acceding to certain demands or or coming to the table and, and making, you know, good faith negotiations. So, you know, there's an extent to which it's like... You don't know whether you're covering Ahsoka, right? It seems like they have said they don't want to come back to the table until October when they think, you know, the writers will be hungry, basically. Um, Like, literally, like, having a hard time paying for things. And, you know, that's atrocious. And that makes me go, like, well, whatever the unions do that I don't love, like... This is clearly worse. And so I know whose side I'm on, Mm -hmm. regardless of, like, whatever specific actions I want to take. Um, But I'll say another thing, like... I tried so long to get my mom to watch Andor because she doesn't, she didn't have the thing, right. you know, to watch it. And she's finally watching it, loving it, of course, because, um, you know, she has taste. Uh, no, but, um, and sh- she watches an episode and then she listens to our podcast. Yeah. And then actually, actually, she watches an episode. She calls, we chat about her impressions of the episode. She listens to the podcast and then we talk about all these thoughts about the episode. And then she watches another one the next day. So, like, you know, I'm not saying you should withhold your your uh-huh. viewing of Ahsoka, but like, it's an option, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, Matthew, I assume you are going to watch Ahsoka at some point, assuming that, you know, mm-hmm. the strike ever gets resolved. And I assume at that point, you'll probably do coverage, possibly episode by ep- episode, possibly, you know, overall. I don't I don't want to put anything on you, yeah. right? That's, I'll, you can I'll let you finish, that. then I'll talk yeah. about where I am. But if, yeah. if you do, you know, a viewer can – also, it can be your second watch. You know, you can watch it yourself the first time and then watch yeah. it the second time. I understand the – for me, the reason I watch things when they come out, when I do, is because – spoilers – Right. Yeah. It's just like, I would love to wait and whatever, but it's just like, I'm like, am I going to, I literally found out a spoiler for Spider-Man No Way Home the day before I saw it. And I, oh. I didn't see it until it was on streaming. Oh, and, you went that you know, long. Wow. That I went that sense. long without like sick, significant spoilers about particular characters' appearances. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the actual spoiler for it. And then the next day I watched it and I, you know, I was like, great. Yeah. You know, it was like, whatever, but you know. I, I feel you there, you know, yeah. for sure. Yeah, so I got a lot of thoughts. And I, I really appreciate where you're coming from and, and agree. I think we're mostly in agreement. I, again, I want to kind of comment that I, I, I think part of what I think is causing confusion is that, and I admit I was confused for a while and sought out hearing from other people, is that I think that the, you know, the union is doing the best it can. I'm not really putting them at fault for this, but I do think that the communication that's been coming out has been confusing at times. First, in part because, and I think part of this is how also the content sphere, and then, like, I love Neil Gaiman, but I think he kind of became, a lot of people were looking to him and some of the stuff he was posting was not necessarily always the most accurate. Hmm. Part of it is I think there's been a lot of confusion again between what are the union rules and how those rules apply to people who want to be in the unions one day versus the things that they're saying of, hey, we'd like you to do this if you are supporting the strike. Yeah, And the further confusion is because right now we're using words like influencer and content creator 
And no one has any idea what those words actually mean. And there are some definitions by which it is a kind of narrow definition, which the union sometimes uses in its language, especially for rules, is when you are doing paid promotion. And there are definite, and this is anything from like, hey, we'll give you free tickets because we know you're going to do, you know, you're generally in positive of it to like, you know, we're inviting you to the premiere to, you know, yeah, we have a check with you that we want you to make like five, you know, TikToks about this in a week, you know, et cetera. And I think as a left of folks, a lot of folks like myself, really not sure where we fit. Uh, I'm certainly not getting paid money in the studios. I make some amount of money from podcasting. Uh, some is from the Patreon, and I love you all from it, but that's still a very small amount. Some is from those ads that you hear. It's not my full income, but I definitely am working. It has been growing steadily, and I would like it to eventually be a significant part of my income. Um, and so and, and I don't want to, there's a part of me, honestly, that feels like when I'm staying, oh, I am a content creator. And so I am one of the, the brave ones who SAG is asking not to do this, and so I will do it. Part of me is like, am I having delusions of grandeur? Like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I we get about uh, eight hundred to a thousand downloads per episode, which is definitely good. Uh, we're yeah. in like the Ahsoka would probably be on the higher end of that. Yeah, right? yeah, I mean. uh, yeah. When things like Ahsoka come out, when Vando comes out, we go up into the fifteen hundreds often. That puts me in, I think, like the top ten percent of Star Wars podcasts. But that's because there's tons and tons of podcasts out there that have like three people. Or like yeah, where yeah. they made an episode a year ago and haven't done anything with it since or something like that. Right. Like the numbers are all over the place. But here's kind of where I, I eventually came down on it. And first of all, I'll also say something. And this is now I'm kind of getting directly to your question. I will be honest with you, with everybody. I hope that I would have made the decision if the strike happened a week before Ahsoka came out. But – I, I don't know what I, – I can't say reality what I would have done. What I can say is I did look at the calendar and did say to myself, I think it is – there's a decent possibility that if there's enough good pressure that the union – that this will get settled before Ahsoka. And that, that was definitely a factor in my decision. As Paul said, you know, the, the, the companies are now saying they want to – not, you know, do anything until like even October. So it may well be we're in that situation. It may well be that, um, and again, I, I, I worked in unions for a while. So I know something like union strategy, the kind of full boycott is a, it's a bullet in the gun that you don't want to use until you absolutely have to. Um, I was talking with some other friend, friend, union organizer friends of mine from way back in the day, um, who were all saying that like, among other things, the union is smart and the, if they had tried to ask for a full boycott before Barbie came out, it would have just been a disaster, you know? And, like, if you look at, like, the 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 incredible groundswell of support that that movie has and it being seen as such a, like, important feminist movie, um, I the, – the lines of where exactly you're promoting a movie or not, I will just say I agree with that. Uh, you know, I saw the movie um, and that, that's another factor I'll get into, though, in a second. Um but, you know, just because it was like one of the biggest movies, this, this weekend was one of the biggest, or we're recording this shortly after the Barben, the, the Barbenheimer weekend, as it was called, uh, hmm. when those two huge movies came out. Do I think there's going to be a call for a full boycott between now and October? Quite possibly. 
do I think it'll happen and then be enough to bring them to the organizing table before Ahsoka comes out in what is now about a month? A couple weeks ago, I would have said yes. Now I'm not sure. And so my hope is that at this point in time, I think that we will not cover Ahsoka when it comes out. That we will, as Paul said, do coverage of it when the strike ends. We will um, do our coverage of it then. Uh, also, as Paul said, um, because it, part of why I, I did go to see Barbie and part of why uh, I will watch Ahsoka when it comes out is I don't want to be spoiled. Um, although having watched Barbie and now not trying hard not to talk about it on social media has been driving me utterly crazy because there are great conversations going on about it. And part of me is like, eh, you know, but but I don't want to take part. I don't know if I have the fortitude to not talk about the Ahsoka show if I watch it. <laughs> um, what I might even do is like, we'll watch the episode, record the episode that week, and then just put it into the archives. And like the minute that the strike ends, drop all those episodes, like one a day or something like that. I don't know. Am I going to promise you all now that I absolutely will not watch Ahsoka when it comes out? No. Um, I want to see where things stand. I do think that, as Paul said, the the big shows like this are often one of the ways we get in huge numbers of visitors. Um, I'll say that we had a, I had a whole plan of like week by week things to bring in new visitors to get ready for Ahsoka. I'm not doing that intentionally. It's cost me some potential, but I think it's worth it. I think I probably won't cover Ahsoka when it comes out if the strike is still ongoing. But I'm gonna I'm gonna see what's being said. I'm gonna see what the union is saying. I think we'll have had a four more weeks, maybe even longer, five or six more weeks for other content creators and like all, all these conversations to get kind of a little bit more decided. And I will say that part of why I decided to do it is because a lot of the other Star Wars content creators that I really respect also decided not to keep making content. Um, and I was like, I respect your decision making. And I, I think that that that's a, a good reason not to as well. I want to see what they do. I want to see what some other folks do. I want to see what happens to the union, like if if the strike is still on, but some real breakthroughs have happened, what the union is advising. Certainly, if there's a boycott called for, then I will have canceled the Disney Plus. And I won't watch it. Uh, I'm fairly certain I won't watch it. Uh, or I'm fairly certain I won't podcast about it if the strike is still on. But there's a lot of factors. And I just want to say, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens when we get there. Cool. Yeah, I am. Um... I, I actually have a few things I want to say. One, one I wanted to say that I, I really respect that, you know, the amount of consideration you've mm -hmm. given to the whole thing. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, you are taking the stand that you feel is right. And that's the only thing anybody can do. Yeah. Right. Is say, this is what I think is the right thing to do. And that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Right. And I mean, you know, you're not sending your sister off to get beheaded, but like it is <laughs> no. an actual sacrifice, mm -hmm. right? Like you are, you are giving up money, exposure and the opportunity to do something you love at a time that it's a very good time to do that thing. Yeah. You know, so I, I just want to say that I, I respect that a lot. Thank you. Um, and then also, uh, to the, the, the writer of the feedback that I love that you, like to to watch the thing and then listen to the pod and it's mm -hmm. kind of like watching it together. Um, I, I love that sentiment. Um, I, per personally, I, I probably won't 
No, I'm not probably. I'm not going to watch it when it comes out. Unless, like, you convince me that, like, watching it and then recording a thing and then releasing it later, like, makes (laughs) sense. I like to not make too big of pronouncements about what future me is going to think makes sense because – I, I always want to be open to an argument that I'm like, I hadn't thought of it that way. Let me think about that. Yeah. Okay, you make a good point and I've changed my mind, right? I think the ability to change one's mind is is power. Very right? much. That Which people... is also why I'm not making the declarative statement. Yeah. Right. Um, I think it's exceptionally unlikely that I will watch it when it comes out. Um, I'm like – I. <laughs> You know, I, I'm I'm more of a like hot shot first kind of person yep. where I'm like, I would fire the big gun right away and be like, no, I want everybody to stop watching, giving you any money like this, is, you know, and like, let's go. Yeah. But like, you know, it's like at, at the end of Iron Man 2, it's like, why didn't you lead with that thing that just destroyed everything? <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's fine. Um, but also, I don't I don't actually really give any of these companies money in the first place. So like. I'm not really, you know, it's like, I don't really have any more to withhold from them. If, if I know? start boycotting, Paul start, stops watching. <laughs> exactly. Actually, actually, I have alternative sources for things that, and I will acknowledge that, yes, then money does go to these things somewhat on my behalf. Yeah. You know, not, not literally directly on my behalf, but like I obtain value from money that is sent to them by yeah. various entities. Um and then just one last thing that I'd say is that I think, um, you know, you, you made a, you brought something up that I think, you know, I think solidarity is easier than trying to take a stand alone, yeah. you know, and, um, that's not to undersell the effort that goes into solidarity, but that when a bunch of people who you respect, uh, a bunch of people who can benefit from the situation by not taking a stand are taking that stand, it's much easier to be not j- just to, to go with it and to be like, yeah, we're all going to do this because first of all, there's a much better chance it's going to have like a significant effect. Yeah. And second of all, it's not like, it's not the same kind of opportunity cost of like, well, I'm missing out on revenue and they're not. And so they're actually grabbing my market share and whatever. It's like when, you know, when there's one crack in the dam kind of like, you know, the river's going to break free. Um, And historically, personally, I've often been like the things that I've taken stands on are not, Things where my individual action is like causing huge ripples and whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, I do, I do like the idea of solidarity and I have seen, you know, I'm, I'm talking about like being a vegetarian yeah. or whatever, right? Um, I have seen like the, the power that like, yeah, when the numbers go up, it causes an effect on industries, you know, like the dairy industry changes its behavior mm-hmm. because of, because there are a lot of people who aren't consuming dairy, right? And it's right. like, being the first or being the last who's who finally plugs the dam like it doesn't matter just be you know if you're i don't know whatever just do what you think you should do yeah and um i you know and i i just i always have respect for that thank so, you i appreciate that and certainly yeah. if there's ever a point i you and i are not always in the same place and i think i have some disagreements about the union stuff in um in terms of the way the unions are doing things, but I know we're both yeah, very, very much against the on the str- side of the strikers. Um, For sure, I can't imagine a time when I would be ready to podcast, but you weren't. Um, well, I mean, schedule, but like where I felt comfortable right. doing so, and you weren't. But you know, if that time came, of course, I'd always respect that. It would be you know, just everyone do what they want. They need. Sure. Yeah. Um, I do have one potential guest who sometimes would come on, who's like, I don't want to talk about Star Wars in any way, even the books or the content. Yeah. Um, and I respect that. Like, I'll be the first to admit, we're talking about 
things that people are interested in probably because they saw the movies and TV shows. And mm-hmm. talking about them may cause people to want to go see those again. And so is there an extent to which the entire Star Wars Universe podcast is by definition promoting the TV and movies? Probably. Am I making some choices to try to mitigate that? Yeah. Uh, like One yeah. example, um, I've said I want to do book content. One of the books that actually I was planning to do as part of the like road to Ahsoka was the Ahsoka novel. Because mm. what better thing to talk about? Mm-hmm. And me and Aaron McGowan, who was on for a lot of the um, a lot of episodes by now, uh, the Bad Batch especially, uh, both read the book to get ready to talk about it. And I was like, eh, I, I don't feel right doing that. It no, is a sure. book. It's not on yeah, screen. It's a book. <laughs> but like to do it, it, if you read it, you're going to be even more excited <laughs> to watch the show. Um, right, right. <laughs> and so I may still record it. We'll see. Um, I, but there's a lot I of really good books it, out there. Yeah. Good. Just on that note, like I, I do think it can be an opportunity though for someone to say, you know what, I'm going to read the book instead of watching the show. Like yeah. that's, I think that's an option. Thing. Now, maybe at the end of the book, you're like, oh, but I really want to watch the show now. You know, yeah. I don't know. I haven't read the book, but yeah. Um, at least Disney has always paid their authors the full amount that. Uh, oh wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other thing, and like they're not called. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That, <laughs> They're not calling for a strike because they don't have a union. And it's funny because – yeah, because they're writers for Hollywood companies and often yes. the plots they come up with in those books appear on yeah. screen, but they're not yeah. part of WGA. That's a whole other fight right. that also should be yeah. a thing. Although some are. Here's a question um, that – sorry, tangent land. Um, if a book is written by a WGA, a WGA author, like writer, so basically like someone who's in the you know the writers' union and maybe adapts their own screenplays, mm-hmm. right, from their own material, do you feel like all of their books then you wouldn't want to cover? Or well, maybe this is a long too 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 far down. The- yeah, no, no. To me, it's nothing to do with the the union itself. It's just specifically a book about the the probably biggest show of the year that Star Wars is coming out. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So we'll see. Uh, all right, we do have one other non-piece of uh, strike feedback. We got a lot of feedback on that, but I want to just uh, read this one as well. Uh, this is from Mandy T. Rebel. Uh, great name. I finally got around to watching Andor, and I found your commentary. It was like watching it with friends. I love it. Here's my question. Who's a character who you would want to see get their own Andor-style show? Mm. Right? Yeah, it's a good I one. mean... Literally any character can have their own Andor style show and it will be one of the best shows of all time because <laughs> to me that's what it means to have an Andor style show. Okay. But if what you mean is more specifically let's, who deserves to get a full backstory show, yeah, who would I say like it's to more see that? A backstory or a like what happened next, but like uh, to take a character who is mostly there only as a side character in one of our main stories – Andor is a main character in a movie that's basically a yes. side story to our main characters. Right. But yeah, like someone like that. Um, who, uh, uh, who who would you want it to be? Um, I mean, I think you can just keep doing more um, more characters from Rogue One. Like, mm-hmm. I would like to see uh, Chirrut and – What's his name? Baze. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see their backstory. I, I want to see what happens to them after, except they're just space dust now. I, so. I was thinking, should I say a character or perhaps a pair of characters? Yeah. But I was like, no, I think Paul's going to go there no matter what. So. Yeah. No, I just, I, I loved them in that. Um, 
And I feel like they represent a really interesting, you know, like what, what does happen to all the people who are into the force and like Jedi adjacent yeah. after Order 66 before, you know, the Battle of Yavin or, or even, um, the Battle of, uh, Endor. Yeah. You know, what, what, what do those people do? You know, yeah. what is it, what does it mean to, you know, to, to, to be, one of them, you know? Yeah. And, like, I think you could do a story that's about the two of them and about yeah. kind of their journeys. And 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 uh, I think they meet on Jeddah, but maybe they don't. But you could do it that. Or I think you could even do, like, Jeddah be the show. And those two are the oh, main sure. characters. But maybe some yeah. others. And, mo- yeah, what we get is, like, five years on this planet, you know, that is sacred to the Jedi. Or maybe even like you start with Order 66. Order 66 has been on screen a lot, so maybe not. But like Sure, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe start a year after that. Yeah, <laughs> but just like seeing what was life there like and then the Empire taking yeah. over and then uh eventually Saw Guerrero uh and his people kind of coming in. Uh mm-hmm. cuz I think his story is one that I would really yeah. love to see more of. So, yeah, I think that would have been great. Uh Saw Guerrero was one of the first people I was going to say. Um, cause I, he, he's appeared I, a lot, but almost always as an antagonist to someone else's story. Yeah. Or like a rival almost like, right. Like yeah. he's that, he's that, I forget there's a, there's like a very specific word for it, but like where he's, he's sort of an antagonist, but he's actually on the same side. Yeah. You know, where they're like kind of trying to do the same thing, but he wants to do it in a different way. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and I do feel like, would it be a, an Andor style show if it's someone like Saw who's already spoilers in Andor, but also like he's, I mean, he's appeared in so many things, Yeah, but like, you're right. He's never gotten, it's never been the Saw show. He, it's never been from his point of view or even the point of view of yeah. someone in his group. So I think For that sure. could be really good. Um, trying to think of people who aren't, I had a couple ideas of people who aren't in um, Rogue One, but yeah. I, <laughs> oh, who aren't in Rogue One. <laughs> but Rogue, I'm so, I think Sparta One made it so good. It was at such a good ensemble. It's so many yeah. uh, small characters. You know, for a while we had talk about Lando getting his own show. And oh, yeah. uh, the idea of um, Billy D. Williams being kind of a narrator while um, uh, like over a game of cards mm-hmm. while while Glover plays, yeah, you the, know, the, the, the younger Donald Glover is actually the person. Yeah, I think that would be yeah. absolutely fantastic. I think there was like that was in discussion at some point. Not um, I thought for a minute, especially after watching this movie, if I'd want to see the droids get their own show, I don't think I would. I think we have seen so much of C-3PO and R2 at this point, and I don't know if I could take two hours of them bickering. And frankly, the right, episodes right. that were focused on them in Clone Wars and Rebels were often not the best. Um, yeah, and they're just – they're in so many episodes of so many things. I feel yeah. like it's no longer – that's not an Andor style. I mean – if you just mean like just take a character who hasn't been a title character and make them a title character, sure. Mm-hmm. But it's like you know, there it's it's like you know, doing a Leia show. Yeah. It's like, well, that would be awesome. Yeah. I, I think that would be awesome. You know, and especially in after the, you know, after Endor, right? Like an actual Leia show. You know. Yeah. But like uh, that would be hard to do live action. It's like, what do you even do? Yeah. You know. Like uh, I mean, I think I'm not a fan of the awesome, like. But. I know Stan Sebastian looks like Luke. I don't need more Luke stories. And I definitely don't want like ghost AI type stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, it's funny how Rogue One, like, it was so interesting that Peter Cushing was like in it. But also I remember at the time being like, is this okay? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I was like, this this, this feels 
bad. And then re-looking at it, I'm like, it also looks, it has more of the, at the time, my brain didn't process it the same way, you mm-hmm. know, like just in terms of the look of it. Yeah. And like, it looks, it looks off to me now more than it did then, I think. But it's like, yeah, it's just, it's rough. Yeah. It's hard. It's and like, I, yeah. We, on that strike episode I did with Riki, we actually talked a lot more about this in depth because AI is one of the major things happening in the strike. And I think as a counterexample, you know, uh, James Earl Jones, like, made a contract with Lucas Films. He went yeah. into a studio. They recorded enough of his voice that they can basically now use his and he signed a contract and he got very well compensated where he they mm-hmm. can now use his voice in perpetuity for right. future Darth Vader characters. And like yeah, I, I don't I definitely don't love the AI visual. Maybe they're going to make that better, but to me it's especially like Peter Cushing was long was dead long before any like no one ever asked him. And even like exactly. his family like you know, I I do believe that Carrie Fisher gave permission for that to be used as it mm-hmm. was, uh, but right. I don't know the details there. But yeah, I think it's a great question. I think there's honestly so many. I think, you know, I've often talked – the other one I would put is – and this isn't a specific character as much as just like another behind the scenes kind of thing. I would love to see more about the Senate. You know, I'd love to see more about either oh, during the sure. Republic or during the Empire. Um, you know, just like what that life was like. So yeah, great. So it was a great question. Paul, do you have any other kind of last comments on it? Uh, no, I, I just wanted to kind of double down on the, the consent matters, you yeah. know, aspect of like, if you're going to use AI to impersonate someone, if they say, yeah, that's fine, go ahead and do that. Give me this much money and we're good. Cool. Right. That's fine. You know, I, I think the proposal to be able to like hire an extra and like download their likeness and then use them in perpetuity for a day rate is like, what are you I honestly I I the AI is the spot where I feel like the studios and the union are both out of their mind. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably because none of them have any idea what the technology is, what it is capable of, what it will be capable of, and like what a reasonable way to to move forward given, you know, yeah. how fast it's gonna change. And I think it's a, a question that requires a lot more than they're going to be able to do really probably, you know, yeah. in the in the negotiation. So you're probably going to end up with something goofy. But like, yeah, to me, at the end of the day, consent is like, yeah, it's a big deal. It's and, just always a big deal. It matters to me. And, and consent, especially in economic terms, you know, yeah. uh, when people are starving uh, and are willing to accept any any kind of wages, even though it's a terrible deal, like that's not a consensual employment agreement. And, you know, I, I'm not saying, you know, a background actor is starving, but like – when someone's trying to get into Hollywood and they may take, you know, it's like this is the only option you have, we should try to make sure that that option, you know, there's a reason why there's a minimum wage. There's a reason why yes. there are minimum standards of contract. And I think for the union to be like, this is too much is completely fair. So, yeah. Absolutely. Emma, thank you so much for the con- for the comment as well as Mandy uh, and Dylan and everybody else who wrote in. Uh, and uh, Dylan, of course, we talked about how he joined the Patreon. Uh it's very easy to join. It really helps this podcast, helps me uh, do all the things that we're doing. Um, uh, and right now, anything you donate, 25% of what all the Patreon donations go will go to um, the edu- uh, the entertainment fund. I believe that's what it's called. I'll kind of link to it in the show notes. That's the fund for out-of-work actors, out-of-work writers. But also, like Paul mentioned, you know, there's a lot – as like Paul's parents, there's a lot of other people – who work on movies and they're they're in unions. Their unions aren't on strike, but like the people whose jobs are catering movie sets, the people whose jobs are security at movie sets, lighting, sound, all this stuff, costuming, 
most of those people are not working right now. Some of them are being yeah. able to get other kind of jobs, but a lot of them aren't working and they're, they're, they're in unions. They support the unions. They're not, you know, making it, they're not fighting against it. They're supporting the unions, but their m- members are suffering too. And so I'm really glad that the, the strike fund that SAG helped set up is being distributed among those folks as well. So yeah, 25% of the patrons will go to that. Um, and I'll talk more about how to give us feedback and the like, but first, Paul, where can people find you? I don't even know. I used to be Zen Madman on Twitter. Apparently now I'm Zen Madman on X or something. I, 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 I don't even know. I, 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 I need, uh, I'm going to keep tweeting. I'm Zed Madman in various places. You can find me various places. And like eventually, maybe I'll have some more coherent spiel. But like for now, I don't know. The world is on fire. Yeah. And uh, I'm just trying to stay in the air conditioning. Look, when I type in twitter.com, I get to the right site. I don't know yeah. where I would go if I typed in x.com, but I don't think it's family friendly. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> think you want to find out. <laughs> and so I will keep calling them tweets and I will keep using the word cisgender right until Elon kicks me off. And oops. And and frankly, like I, I've not. Oh, it takes you to Twitter. Yeah. Oh, okay. I guess he bought that. No, x.com. I, I guess that's, he bought that. Wow. So, well done. That's a, that's an expensive domain name. I mean, you know, yeah. that's some commitment to, I mean, the, that, to the bit. That's probably at least one or two emeralds from Daddy's Mine that got used to pay for that. So, um, yeah. So, uh, I am still on Twitter. I've not yet gone onto one of the sites just because we're still in that, like, every week it sounds like all my friends are going to a new one and I just – I, I don't have the patience yeah. to set up one yeah, profiles yeah, yeah, no and five different ones. So in like a couple months, I'm going to see where people have settled. It might be, you know, uh, there's a couple bunch of options out there. We'll see. If you've got suggestions for me, feel free to write and let me know. But of course, you can still find me on Twitter. You can also find me on Facebook, on TikTok, and you can email me. All that information is in the show notes. But the best way to find it is go to theethicalpanda.com. Uh, and there you'll find information about this podcast, my superhero ethics podcast. Like I said, there, there's... It's a little harder to find non-screen Star Wars content, although there is a ton. But, you know, we've in the past had non-Hollywood screen content on superhero ethics, and now it's all we're doing. And so we have stuff about Discworld, those books. Uh, We have stuff about um, uh, Ahab, about uh, the character of Ahab and disability and Moby Dick. I finally uh, got around to learning the plot of that book. I did not read it. But in true high school, <laughs> in true American high school English class uh, standards, I looked it up on Sparknotes, which is apparently what Cliff Notes is now. Um, and we had a great discussion with someone who wrote her thesis uh, on Ahab and and Moby Dick. So that was a great episode. We're gonna do stuff on Godzilla, a lot of stuff. Uh, we're gonna do stuff on uh, some BBC things. Uh, there's so much great cinema that's happening outside of the United States. So. Take a chance, check it out. Check out Superior Ethics. Check out Star Wars. If you're a patron, stick around. We got a little bit of bonus content, but just a little bit because Paul's got to go soon. Most of all, thank you all so much for listening. We have spoken. Welcome back, patrons. Thank you so much. We're going to have to keep this very brief because Paul has to go very soon. But Paul, I'm just going to ask you, kind of, I know you don't read the books much. Uh, what has been your contact with Star Wars off screen? I mean, I'm just going to hold something up for the non-viewing audience who can't see it. But this is a lovely uh, Lego Darth Vader head uh, that Matthew gave me for a holiday uh-huh. and I assembled. 
and it was great fun. Uh, and I enjoy looking at Will Freeland's giant Millennium Falcon in the <laughs> background. Um, so I actually, th- this might be my, I think this is my first Star Wars Lego, but I had a bunch of the, you know, the OG Star Wars. I had a Millennium Falcon, like yep. the original one. Um, I had a Chewbacca and I think I lost the Chewbacca in a diner and it was like, it was traumatizing. Oh, I'm like sure. We, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, you know, and they had the, the C3PO in the little, um, it like came into parts and then fit in a backpack of Chewbacca's. So, oh, that yeah, the, that's awesome. The Empire Strikes Back edition, uh-huh. I guess. Um, so yeah, mostly, mostly like through the toys. I played the RPG back in the, mm-hmm. in the nineties with some friends. And, uh, we, you know, we have a friend whose, whose brother was like the most Star Wars-y, you know, person I think I'd ever known in terms of just having their entire room was just outfitted solely with, you know, the toys and and the I think they had the Lego sets by yep. then and like, you know, just tons of Star Wars stuff. And I played some of the games. I played the um the Empire Strikes Back game actually for like Super Nintendo or something. Mm-hmm. And um I, I I you know played one of the the Starfighter games like um one time, you yeah. know, but so, so not, not huge, you know, mostly just like the toys and like a little bit with the games. Um, and, you know, reading or listening to some like, you know, George Lucas and Joseph Campbell kind of talking about sort of the, the hero's journey and mm-hmm. whatever. And, um, so yeah, I, I would say mostly toys and games. Yeah. And whatnot. Yeah, I think until recently I was like that. I had read the Thrawn novels uh, when they came out, the original ones, and I really liked them. But then I tried some of the other extended universe stuff. It really wasn't for me. Uh, and then I think I'm, you know, I'm of that generation that was, uh, I think, just I don't want to say too old for Clone Wars for um, the prequels because I think a lot of people love the prequels. But I think a lot of people of my age just the prequels were not my favorite, and I kind of went off Star Wars for a while. And then um, uh, Force Awakens really was the thing that, that really brought me back. Um, mm. You know, as, as many problems as I may have with the sequels, I think oh, so much of them is fantastic. Ray is fantastic. Um, I, I should say, you know, I, I, I'm with someone who really enjoyed most of the sequels, uh, the last one notwithstanding. Uh, and then when I saw the kind of revo- – part of, I think, the fact – the problem with the EU also was that it was so intimidating – it got to the point where, oh, you know, because like, yeah. you know, I could have read those books as they were coming out when I was like 12 or 13. Yeah. But then you skip forward some years and it's like there's now 40 books and like every right. book is ref- – they, they did a good job of referencing each other, although some of them contradict each other. But like right. it just felt like where in the world do I get started? And so I just never did. And then when Star Wars started this whole new set of books, uh, a lot of it filling in some of the gaps on on things that I wanted to learn more about, like the the Padme books that I haven't talked about, Queen's Shadow, Queen's Peril. I got really into those. But I think, honestly, the piece of Star Wars media that I think I probably most engaged with that wasn't screen was the X-Wing and TIE Fighter games. Uh, mm-hmm. These are games I had on a IBM, maybe 386, <laughs> oh, <laughs> maybe yeah. even older. Like I think, I think I had the first X-wing. I think I had even pre-Windows, maybe. And it was mostly a you know fairly simple space combat game. And granted, I'd not been playing many video games at the time, and so many other people will tell me this was actually a lot more common than I thought. But it actually had a story that was ongoing mm-hmm. through it, and the. The Rebel one was fairly basic, but the TIE Fighter one, like, you got to be a, you got to eventually become a, at first I was like, this is kind of interesting. I'm going to be like fighting for the Empire. 
Right. And and eventually they realized like this was they were not quite in the point in the nineties of like, yeah, let's like be the bad guy for the whole game. So eventually you do spoilers for a game that's thirty years old, eventually you do uh wind up uh joining the rebellion as a TIE fighter pilot. Right. Um but yeah, I just really love those. And I um mo- I, I, I've enjoyed I think Jedi Survivor was a great well I think Jedi Survivor was a great story told through a video game that I found far too difficult. That if you know platformers and mm. good at hand-eye coordination, I think it's probably a lot easier. I'm not that person. Uh, there's a, uh, a Star Wars RPG coming out, like a uh, an open-world kind of Skyrim kind of a game uh, that next year, I believe, that I'm really excited for. And, and yeah, and I think the books are great. The comic books are still the barrier for me. I just have not ever really been able to get into them. My, my visual acuity is really not good, but... I love hearing people talk about them, and yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just glad there's, there is so much else out there besides the TV and movies. And even when I can't watch it, I love hearing people talk about it. Yeah, I've actually really enjoyed the book podcasts that I've been on for the books that I didn't read. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's fun, kind of getting to sort of ask questions and listen to, you know, mm-hmm. what's going on in those things. And most books you can dig into a level of depth that you can't do in most series. Yeah. You know, or movies. Um I I almost like wouldn't want to read an Andor book, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel like the series actually manages to kind of I actually saw Tony Gilroy refer to it as a like more like a novel yeah. than a movie or a series, you know. And um it, it's but but I think that is the sort of thing like probably that maybe speaks to like, I, I probably would like some of the novels, you yeah. know, if there, I know the, the, the quality of writing varies, right. And sort of the, the target audience, I'm sure varies, but, um, I'm sure some of them are, are very well written and just in, in terms of getting into, yeah. um, oh, I tried that, that collection of short stories that you sent me a oh, couple yes, of the from stories. from a certain point of view, and you hated and them. And I love the idea. Mm-hmm. I, I did, wait, what did you say? You s- uh, the, the collections are called From a Certain Point of View. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. they're all like little, they're not even really, sh- they're like three to four pages often. So, uh, they're, yeah, they're like flash fiction to short stories. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Vignettes. And, and they're all yes. from the perspective of like characters we never actually met or characters we saw yeah. for just a half second or two, uh, but who are witnesses to important moments in Star Wars. Right. Uh, and they've now done that for multiple books or shows. And the, the, the okay. first one is just called, From a Certain Point of View, A New Hope. Yeah. Yeah. And I just – I love the idea of it, but I just I just couldn't yeah. with the writing. Like like you sent me sent – and, and this – I don't want to say this will be everyone's experience. I'm sure it's not. If they've done multiple books, I'm sure plenty of people love them. But like I actually had to look up the authors and be like, are these like professional authors or is this a <laughs> collection of fan fiction? And I'm like – Oh, they're professional authors, but it is a collection of fan fiction. That's the thing about something like Star Wars. Yeah. Is like. It's all fan fiction to some extent. It's all fi- fan fiction yeah. since, you know, the the prequel trilogy, right? The prequel trilogy wasn't fan. I mean, you could say Star Wars was fan fiction for the Hidden Fortress. Right. But like, you know. Well, and like there's a book that came out. Uh, there's a book that came out a year or two ago that Riki and I actually covered in last week's episode. Um <clears throat> There's a book actually that came out uh, a year or two ago that Riki and I covered, if you, and you heard us cover it in last week's episode, Resistance Reborn. And mm. it's not – I think some of the books are incredibly well written. And I also want to say uh, I think some fan fiction is incredibly well written. Of course. Some is yeah, not. Yeah. Um, but um, it wasn't my favorite book. 
but it did a lot of things. Like, as far as I understand, the author set out to say, okay, you know those massive plot holes from Last Jedi to Rise of Skywalker? What if we fill in some of those? What if we give people (laughs) some background? So, like, the book, the, the focus of the book is, okay, Leia put out that call on Crate and no one came. What do we do now? And so you mm-hmm. get to see them change tactics and start to do new things that start to get more people on their side in a way just calling mm. for help didn't. And so the whole armada showing up in Rise makes more sense. Right. <clears throat> you get to see – again, here's the thing that you can't really do in a movie unless it's an incredibly well done TV show like Andor. You get to see much more of Poe's interiority and you get to see him really wrestling with like the mistakes he made and the horrible cost it had. And and also like some of the other pilots being like, why would we follow you? You made these terrible decisions. And and I just really appreciate how much the book bridges the gap between those two movies. And in the same ways that like the TV show The Clone Wars, I think, bridges the gap between uh the second and third uh prequel movie in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, I think the gap is much larger uh but uh to Rise of Skywalker. But um however you see it, I think it it, it was just but it, it because it's trying to do so much, I think it suffers a little bit just as a work. Sure. But it was enjoyable. Yeah. And there's so many things I read where I was like, ah, okay. Now this is something I can believe. Now I get this. Um, right, right. It's like giving you a, a headcanon download. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah. like here's, a, here's some ways that you can watch these movies and have them make sense together instead of just being like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, did, did the director of this even see that movie? Among other things, Wedge is a major character in it. And, and how oh, Wedge comes back into yeah. the resistance is a major thing. Rather than just like, oh, the actor had some free time, so we threw him in at the end of the movie along with everybody right, else. Right, right, right. I feel like Wedge would be an interesting character to just like follow through the entirety of yeah. like his career, you know? I mean, you could kind of do – like this is kind of going back to that feedback question we have and then we really should wrap up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um you know, Wedge, I think, would be another one to get his own show. But in, instead of it being about, I, like, his life before after, I think he yeah. would be kind of, it, kind of like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern version of the Star Wars movies. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's funny. Um, I, I also, though, was thinking, like, <coughs> actually, Biggs would be an interesting character to have an Andor-like show. I mean, it's the same time frame. Yeah. And I don't know. May, who knows? Maybe he'll show up. But, like, you know, just that sort of, like, leading up to the rebellion. Like, how does... Someone who's like pals with Luke on Tatooine, like then go and actually join the rebellion, right. and like you know, like what what is that? Like what was what was the rebellion then before we saw it? Really? Yeah. Like yeah, I think um, you know we got some of Wedge's backstory in Rebels, but yeah, for something like Biggs or something like that would be all, especially because what has never been answered is when Luke wants to forward his aca- his application yeah. to the academy. The only academy we have actually heard about is the Imperial is the Imperial right academy. exactly. And so, yeah. was there just this line of like Wedge and Biggs <laughs> and all these pilots going off to be Imperial pilots, being like, "Cool, I got my skills, but I'm going to fly an X-wing instead of a Tie fighter." See you later. I don't know exactly. And like, how did the Empire deal with that? Like, did they know that there was they were also this pipeline? And like, <laughs> then were the administrators at the academy like? Oh, uh, you're in Slytherin. Sly- okay, Gryffindor. Gryff- yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the Harry Potter uh, reference, yeah. but you know, it, it, I I feel like it's you know, or the school where it's like ah, good guys, bad guys. Like, yeah, who does that? That that was always one of the things that I was just like, 
these movies are weird. Yeah. I, 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 not getting yet another topic. I am not yeah. a, you know, that name is dead to me, never mentioned again. I'm never going to promote it in any way. I'm never going to give money yeah. to anything involved with J.K. Rowling ever again. I'm going to distance myself from those who do. But yeah, like it is a cultural reference in our lexicon that it is used from time to time is fine. Um, yeah. So anyway, all right. This has been awesome. Paul, thank you so much for all of this. Uh, thank you, patrons. You really make all this happen. We have spoken. I can't swim.